Welcome to Dispatches, the official podcast for the Journal of the American Revolution. The Journal of the American Revolution publishes weekly online at www.allthingsliberty.com. For the latest in research, reviews, and commentaries, America's Most Important History is available free of charge at the Journal of the American Revolution. You know, he's a, certainly representative of, of high-profile leaders whose reputations were embellished through folk tales and concocted stories, especially in the 19th century. That's Journal of the American Revolution contributor Gene Procknow discussing the media's portrayal of Ethan Allen. And he's our guest today. I'm Brady Kreitzer, and this is Dispatches. This episode is sponsored by the Small Battle series, with two new releases— the Battle of Musgrove's Mill, 1782, by John Buchanan, and The Battle of Harlem Heights, 1776, by David Price. Available now wherever books are sold. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of Dispatches. I'm your host, Brady Kreitzer. Today our guest is Journal of the American Revolution contributor Gene Procknow, and he'll be discussing Ethan Allen and how the media portrayed him in his own time. Gene is actually a four-time guest on the show. This is now our fourth year of Dispatches, and he always brings something pretty profound on the on the, his episodes. I think today's article is no different. So sit back, relax, and enjoy our interview with Gene Procknow. Gene Procknow, welcome back. Well, thank you, Brady, and thank you for having me back on your podcast show. Gene, remind us about your background. You are a four-time guest. Okay, well, I enjoy coming back every time, Brady. So um, you you do great interviews, so and I appreciate the opportunity. Um, you know, my background was that uh, for many years I had a career providing business advice to for-profit and not-for-profit organizations and governments. And um, but after that, I, I decided to to research and write history, and I wanted to focus on um, the Revolutionary Era. Um, so I found my background in business uh, really helped me to. Uh, uh, helped me historically. You know, I, I had to figure out in business how to improve an organization, which is really akin to figuring out what happened historically and, and why it happened. Um, and then secondly, in business, I always had to discern people's uh, motivations and, and figuring out what made people tick always fascinated to me. And that's really what, as historians do, you, you figure out what made historical figures tick and why they did what they did. So, and I guess, um, lastly, since the time that I spoke to your listeners, uh, I um, uh, went back to university to sharpen my historic historiography skills, and I earned a master's in history from uh, Norwich University, So, which is uh, another uh, Vermont connection um, here today. What drew your interest into this topic? Okay, that's a good question because I wrote my first article on Ethan Allen about 10 years ago. So, um, and it, it addressed whether he was a patriot, uh, land speculator, or traitor. Um, and uh, however, it's I'm not sure that I, that, that uh, question is completely answered to date. So, it's a subject I keep coming back to. Um, you know, I, I'm uh, fascinated by the complexities of his personality. Um, you know, like everybody else, he has good and bad in him. But his good and bad are more up and down and more pronounced than most people. So, you know, I've been really captivated by the question, you know, who is Ethan Allen and what makes him tick? Um, and, and for this article, I found that researching uh, newspapers, um, 
during his lifetime provided a, a pretty unique view um, for uh, assessing who Ethan Allen was. And his reputation in the news uh, oscillated between um, uh, being heroic and being reckless, uh, uh, being patriotic and being a traitor, a, a populist politician, uh, kind of a Robin Hood character and a lawless uh, uh, mobster. And, and finally, as a, a celebrated uh, uh, patriot and a graceless public figure. So uh, it's, uh, it's amazing how fast his reputation changed. And, that, and that's all during his lifetime. So that's not what happened afterwards. Uh, you know, Alan passed in 1789. Um, and uh, biographers, short, biographers shortly after that transformed his reputation into a, a fabled storybook hero. And that reputation has endured until the last um, uh, a few years. And, and that also continues among the general public today. Um, however, uh, lately, um, uh, contemporary historians have challenged this view, uh, creating a more complex and probably darker view of his character, which, quite frankly, is more interesting. And that's what keeps me coming back to uh, uh, investigating Ethan Allen. Gene, if you could, this might be difficult. Give us a quick primer on Ethan Allen and his participation in the American Revolution. Oh, okay, good. Yes, uh, he, he was a prominent Revolutionary Era figure. Uh, he had over 500 newspaper citations uh, during the Revolutionary War, so which is pretty amazing. Um, he, he first uh, gained notoriety as the leader of the uh, uh, fabled Green Mountain Boys, which contested New York's state's authority over the area we call Vermont today. Um, and then as that, that was in the 1760s and 1770s, in the mid 1770s, uh, uh, with the outbreak of hostilities, uh, with the British after Lexington and Concord, uh, Allen co-led with Benedict Arnold, the capture of Fort Ticonderoga in New York state, which is kind of interesting because he was fighting for Vermont and Ticonderoga is in New York state. Um, and, uh, Allen likely joined the, the rebels um, because King George III and the British government wouldn't recognize the Vermonters' land claims and, and, and said that Vermont uh, was owned by New York and the Vermonters were squatters. So he probably decided that the outbreak of the revolution was a great opportunity to cement his land claims by opposing the, the British. Um, however, after capturing Fort Ty, uh, Allen uh, sought to capture Montreal with a few volunteers, and they raced ahead of the main American army to gain the glory of capturing Montreal. <laughs> However, the British uh, turned tail on them and captured him, which led to almost three years of brutal incarceration. Um, and after he was freed in a prisoner exchange, uh, uh, Allen returned to Vermont, and he wrote a narrative of his captivity. Uh, that narrative uh, is the, was the second most purchased book in revolutionary America after Thomas Paine's Common Sense. So he became quite notable because of that. It really made him a, a, a national hero. And his story of resilience as a, as a, as a uh, prisoner and, and uh, standing up to the British brutal um, um, uh, incarceration, uh, became, he became a hero. Uh, and, uh, he became a hero because at that time of the war, uh, the war dragged on, there were no victories. Uh, and so uh, people looked up to him as someone that uh, uh, had the courage of his convictions. Um, however, as the war got into the 1780s, uh, Congress uh, refused to recognize Vermont as a state. And therefore, Allen says, I'm going to go 
think, flirt with the British the, to come back into the British Empire if they would recognize the Vermonters' land claims. So that led to some murky negotiations um, with the British. Uh, we call those negotiations uh, the Haldeman Negotiations, named after Frederick Haldeman, who was the British governor of uh, Canada. Those negotiations uh, ebbed and flowed and went dragged on and on. But after Yorktown, they ceased because it looked like you know, after that, the British were going to end the war. So uh, during that period of time, Allen continued as a political agitator for Vermont and a militia general uh, in Vermont. Uh, and then shortly after the war uh, ended, uh, he published his second book, uh, Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. And this book is extraordinarily controversial, and it, it espoused a, a deist view of religion and created a firestorm of controversy. And we'll talk about that some more, I'm sure. But uh, it it um, it created a very negative reputation of um, uh, in, in the in, in overwhelming Protestant um, society uh, uh, of the nation, a, a post-war nation. So that's a quick thumbnail of um, of, of Ethan's life. Gene, what did you learn about Ethan Allen growing up? How was he portrayed to you? Okay. Well, you know, Ethan Allen, all the good things and none of the bad. So um, Ethan Allen was a heroic, intrepid woodsman who took on wealthy, entrenched interests and won, kind of almost a Robin Hood kind of figure and someone that, that was a, uh, you know, they might have been a little thuggish around things, but it didn't really matter. They didn't kill anybody. It was all just kind of in good humor. Uh, so he was kind of a, a, a storybook hero, and there are, there are a bunch of, of uh, uh, a young adults and young young boy stories um, uh, written on uh, Ethan Allen in that genre. Um, and uh, uh, yeah, I saw his statue in the porch of the Vermont State Capitol building. It's a gorgeous uh, marble statue, and there's also a statue of him in, in Statuary Hall in the U.S. Capitol in a very prominent position. So, um, you know, he obviously uh, was in great standing with his, um, uh, with the politicians. Uh, it's funny, you look up in the air and uh, Vermont's Air National Guard, which flies the uh, most advanced F-35s today, you know, they were, are referred to as the Green Mountain Boys uh, with some special dispensation to the Department of Defense to use that moniker. So um, it's kind of all over. You know, he has trains named after him, roads named after him, naval ships, a bunch of naval ships have been named after him, and even mountain peaks. Um, um, I climbed Mount Ethan Allen. And actually, I get to the top of Mount Ethan Allen, and you wonder why the more prominent peaks surrounding it aren't named after Ethan Allen. So it's it's pretty hard, and unless you know what you're looking at, it's hard to find uh, Mount Ethan Allen on the horizon. So, um, oh, I want to say one last thing that I learned was that um, uh, there's no connection between the furniture store chain and Ethan Allen or his family. That is a completely bogus uh, connection. So. Um, you know, Ethan Allen is, was, had a reputation created by um, fawning historians in the 19th century, and we're still trying to un- unpack that today. Talk about Allen's first appearance in the media. Okay. You know, his first uh, appearance in newspapers was um, in uh, early 1770, 1772, and it was a really basically a, a wanted poster uh, in the paper. So it's kind of like the old-fashioned, um, uh, you know, uh, Ethan Allen wanted with the – didn't have a picture of him, of course, back then, but it, it – because uh, there's no pictures of Ethan Allen. But uh, uh, it did have his description and said uh, that uh, he was wanted by the New York authorities – 
um, uh, for being an outlaw. And uh, they put a price on his head. And they put the price on the head because he committed violence against their authority and against those that had uh, uh, New York land claims. Um, they, the papers described him as a member of the Bennington mob. You know, Bennington mob sounds a whole lot worse than the Green Mountain Boys, which sounds kind of like almost like a fraternal kind of organization. Um, so, um, and they described the mob, destroy, uh, the papers described the mob destroying farms and homes of the New York settlers, committing violence against sheriffs and judges. And, uh, you know, people that, that supported the Yorkers lost their fortunes and were forcibly removed by the Green Mountain Boys. So it was a, it was a, um, it, it was a, a lot of violence. I mean, as I said, no one, no one lost their lives, but uh, a lot of people lost their property and a lot of people were really uh, threatened. Um, so the, um, the two years later in 1774, the, the, the New York authorities offered a 50 pound reward, which is a lot of money for his capture. So, and uh, they continued to print through this period, uh, thuggish accounts of Allen's extra legal activities. You say in your article that he changes from outlaw to hero in the way he's discussed. Uh, how does that change happen? Okay, and and it's a and it's a, almost like a flash cut, um, um, Brady, which is pretty amazing. Uh, but basically, Allen, uh, what I believe, he sensed an opportunity to legitimize his land claims. And so he took advantage of the outbreak of hostilities between the British and the rebels after the battles of Lexington and Concord. And so he planned to capture uh, the British fort at Ticonderoga, which is uh, you know, the vaunted uh, Gibraltar of uh, North America. And so um, others from Connecticut and Massachusetts, including Benedict Arnold, had the same ideas. And so they all joined forces. Um, it was an ill-planned uh, but daring raid, uh, a little over 80 Green Mountain Boys and Colonial Militia uh, made a trip across Lake um, uh, Champlain, uh, just uh, north of uh, the fort, and um, basically uh, walked through a wicker gate, um, confronted a uh, sentry, um, and uh, captured the fort. Um, and uh, the uh, you know whether he said uh, uh, capture the fort in the name of the Great Jehovah and the Continental Congress, that's probably not the case. There are three or four um, uh, different versions of that, depending who you um, would listen to. Uh, probably the one is probably right is right more right is the Camacho old rat with a couple of expletives um, intertwined in that um, uh, in that phrase. Phrase, but uh, the papers, uh, basically uh, newspapers uh, from New England first, and then throughout the country, uh, they called uh, Allen as an intrepid leader and gave him great public acclaim. You know, for capturing the. You know, but this was a vaunted and it had a much bigger reputation than it was. It was actually a dilapidated fort, but the public perception was a great fortress guarded by the strong British army. So he, he got a lot of public acclaim for this, and that's how he became a change from an outlaw to an instant hero. Why did Allen's reputation, quote, take a nosedive, as you say in your article? <laughs> well, you know, just it, it's great because. As fast as his reputation went from an outlaw to a hero, it went from a hero to a goat uh, because um, um, he, he thought that after taking Ticonderoga, that taking any British-held fortification was easy. So he uh, rashly attempted to capture the city of Montreal with a very tiny force. 
Um, the Americans um, under um, Richard Montgomery had had planned a expedition to capture um, uh, Quebec and um, uh, city and, and Montreal from the British, uh, but uh, Allen and a few people raced out ahead of this um, American army and said they were they were going to get the glory by capturing this city. Uh, <laughs> however, the British caught wind of this and uh, quickly captured him and uh, uh, and, uh, incarcerated him in chains and sent him back to England and uh, with the thought of executing him at Tyburn um, as a a traitor was where the British uh, traditionally executed traitors. Um, (laughs) However, once the British had Ethan Allen in in England, they quickly realized that if they hung him, uh, the Americans would uh, retaliate and start hanging British soldiers. So they decided they could not do that. So they sent Allen back to America. Um, They sent him via Ireland, and the Irish treated uh, Allen royally um, and uh, because they saw him as kind of an anti-British figure. And so he actually got food and clothing from them for the voyage back from uh, various um, uh, Irishmen and women. Uh, So uh, he came back to the United States, and eventually, after about three years, Allen was exchanged for a British colonel, and and he returned to uh, Vermont. Um, so that's how his, uh, reputation took a quick nosedive. How did he combat this? Well, no, he, he did something really clever and, 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 and really pretty good. I mean, it would be the article, it'd be the book that we'd all want to write. Um, he wrote a book of his, uh, a narrative of his captivity, and that just became an instant success. Uh, believe it or not, uh, upwards of 20,000 copies were sold, which is a prodigious number back then, an even more prodigious number today uh, for a historian to sell. But uh, um, this this became an instant bestseller. There was a thirst to have a hero come out of the war because the war wasn't going all that great in the 1780s, 1779, 1780 timeframe when this book was published. And so it, there was a thirst to find a hero, and he became that hero. Uh, the Boston Gazette characterized Allen as a gallant and meritorious officer, um, and and he was distinguished for his sufferings and exemplary resignation and spirit while in captivity. Well, I'm not maybe gallant, but he wasn't meritorious offer, uh, officer. I can guarantee you that. Um, but the you know papers as far as Wade's Virginia referred to him as an officer of exemplary fortitude and distinguished merit. So he, it, it, uh, he, he, the newspapers helped reinforce his image. And, and that sold more copies of his book. Um, plus, Amer- Americans uh, in the 18th century had a fondness for uh, captivity narratives. Uh, uh, one of the most well-known today is Mary Rowlandson's uh, uh, capture by Native Americans and her diary around that and her eventual return to, um, to uh, the, the uh, English settlements uh, in um, Massachusetts. So um, Americans liked that. And his, his uh, book was an unbelievably bestseller. And it took his reputation from that nosedive back into becoming a hero again. Explain the impact of Ethan Allen's reason. Okay. Um, you know, Allen was a, um, a, a self-taught person. You know, he, early in his life, he, uh, uh, he uh, had the opportunity to go to Yale University. But unfortunately, his father died. And as the oldest um, person in his family, uh, oldest child in his family, he basically took over the family farm and tried to earn a living for the family. And so he, he never got to Yale, but he did have a lifelong 
interests in learning and in philosophy uh, and in religion. And he turned that lifelong interest into a, um, uh, into a book. It's called Reason, the Only Oracle of Man. Uh, and however, the publishing of this book, contrary to the captivity narrative, it devastated his, uh, his public persona. And so his, if his, his narrative captivity sold 20,000 copies. This, uh, the initial run was around 500 copies, and most of those were consumed in a fire, which, you know, some people think might have been um, arson. Uh, so there's only a few copies uh, that remained of the original um, here, and they're very valuable. Uh, there's an 1850 reprint, which is more um, uh, widely uh, accessible today. But uh, um, so he went from being a celebrated, uh, a very financially successful author to be a financially unsuccessful and um, uh, and uh, uh, not a good it was a horrible reputation. So um, you know, some people think that this book was copied uh, from others. Uh, during his uh, young adult days and early 20 days, he was a friend of a um, of Dr. Thomas Young, who was a very uh, was a, a Yale graduate and uh, a, a learned doctor. He was a patriot in Boston before the war, and um, there's there's some evidence that um, that uh, uh, some of the uh, Allen retrieved some of the notes from Young's uh, widow before publishing the reason. Um, others believe that the, the uh, reason was pilfered from a, a British author. Um, none of that is dispositive uh, here. Um, I, and it really kind of doesn't matter for our conversation here because none of these conversations, none of these controversies came to his life. It's really more that he published this and, um, and uh, the contemporary religious leaders and pastors and, and ministers, they just vilified Allen for what they regarded as these uh, antithetical views. Um, and they viewed that his, they called him a deist back then. Um, deism is a belief in the existence of God based upon rational thought without any kind of uh, 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 relevation or, or anything around uh, Christi Christianity uh, here or re religious authority. It's kind of a relationship to God through nature um, and uh, without any kind of organized religion around that. So that was a, immensely challenging to Protestant Christianity, the orthodoxy of the day. Um, and so it created a flurry of, of, of negative articles criticizing Allen. They called him prayerless and graceless. Um, others called him an incendiary, and they mocked him as St. Ethan. Uh, so, and, and there's even, a, believe it or not, there's even a poem that got reprinted in a whole bunch of papers. I'll just read a, a couple lines from this poem, uh, and, and it goes, and brace tremendous like an ass. One hand is clenched to batter noses, while the other scrawls against Paul and Moses. So it brings together his thuggish kind of Green Mountain Boy background with uh, the um, uh, with the read, um, uh, his uh, Oracle of Reason uh, uh, writing here against the uh, revealed um, uh, uh, Bible. So um, anyway, yeah, I think uh, sometimes the, the Oracle of Reason is called um, Allen's Bible, um, and uh, as as time went on in the eighteen uh, 1780s, the allegations against them got even more uh, outlandish. 
Um, <laughs> one South Carolina newspaper alleged that Allen had undergone a certain Jewish and Mohammedan ceremony to become an Islamic religious leader. So um, clearly not anywhere near what Allen was doing by any stretch of the imagination. But this controversy really returned Allen's reputation to the gutter. So um, it, it really... Uh, it hurt him uh, immensely in his uh, end of his life. They people shunned him. He was not had to resign from political offices or um, as the militia general in Vermont, and and really um, really was put out the pasture to his home, which now stands in Burlington, Vermont. Still stands in Burlington, Vermont. But he lived his last years kind of rocking on the porch with his family because. Uh, uh, because of this um, uh, this book he published and his his thinking about religion um, and his unorthodox religious views, uh, so you know he kind of stayed this way um, uh, until the 19th century historians started resurrecting Allen as a fanciful hero because they glossed over his unorthodox religious views <clears throat> and they needed a founding myth for Vermont. And, and finding that founding myth in Ethan Allen, they wrote about that and, and glossed over his unorthodox religious views. Gene, how does this article help us understand the revolutionary era better? You know, I, I think it kind of unpacks and gets behind the uh, gets behind what stories we think we know, and it's a great example of that. What uh, a lot of times we think we know the story, and it really isn't the case. I mean. Today, on a on a the, you know people think of Ethan Allen as the leader of the Green Mountain Boys and the conqueror of Fort Ticonderoga, and and that is true. But there's a lot more to that, and I think that one of the key things to understand someone is to understand what do their contemporaries think of him. And so, the, so because of his two books, the Captivity Narrative and the Reason, the Only Oracle of Man books. We and the Associated Reporting the newspapers, we know a lot more about Ethan Allen because we know what his contemporaries thought of him. You know, it's pretty interesting that Washington and Jefferson and Franklin and, and other um, uh, uh, high-profile um, revolutionaries uh, shared Allen's deist views, <laughs> but they were much better at navigating the uh, religious politics and avoiding the Allen's re- um, uh, reputational de- demise. And so you can kind of see that how certain people were able to have views and navigate the politics and others were just like a, a bully in a, in a China shop, you know, kind of thing and was unable to do that. And maybe that's not bad. Maybe that's good. And and you can celebrate that in Alan that he had the um, temerity to, uh, uh, to say what he thought. And I think that, you know, I think that's pretty important to know. Um, you know, he's a, certainly representative of, of high-profile leaders whose reputations were embellished through folk tales and concocted stories, especially in the 19th century. I mean, uh, famously, you know, Parson Weems' uh, accounts of uh, George Washington and chopping down the cherry tree and throwing a coin across the Potomac uh, are two examples of that. And I think this article helps us get behind those kind of fabled stories to understand what did people really think about them in their own times and the revolutionary newspapers, they help remove that folk hero veneer, which covers a lot of our uh, revolutionary people. And it certainly encased Allen uh, here. And by understanding what his, what his, what the public thought about Allen really helps us to understand his character better. So I, I'm a b- believer that, um, 
that uh, primary sources uh, such as newspapers and their writing, the actual writing, really help better understand a person's character. While you need other things, I mean, I think I haven't told the whole story of him because I haven't told what others have thought about him uh, and what in their writing, and that and that's a good addition here. But the 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 um, the personal public persona of somebody, I think, is really important to understand what they what people thought of them. So that's why I think uh, this is uh, in, uh, this article helps us understand the Revolutionary Era better. Gene Brock, now thanks again. All right, cool. Thank you, Brady. Appreciate the opportunity to speak with you and your listeners. The music played in this episode included works by Kevin McLeod and the Sturbridge Colonial Militia. Any unauthorized reproduction or use of this podcast, without the express written permission of the Journal of the American Revolution, is strictly prohibited. For everyone here at Dispatches, I'm Brady Kreitzer saying so long. <laughs>